This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Jill McCann, Assistant Editor of Health IT Security. Ransomware attacks are continuing to overwhelm the healthcare sector, causing EHR downtime, ambulance diversions, and operational disruptions. Although many healthcare organizations have adapted by implementing technical and administrative safeguards to prevent ransomware attacks, these threat actors are getting more sophisticated and many organizations have faced or will be forced to face a situation in which they must decide whether to pay the ransom or risk data encryption or exfiltration. To discuss this issue, today we are speaking with Eric Weinick, a seasoned litigator and co-founder of Manhattan-based law firm Otterberg's privacy and cybersecurity practice. Hi, Eric. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great. So when healthcare organizations are confronted with a ransomware attack, what factors do they have to take into account when considering whether to pay the ransom? Well, first, let me start by saying, hopefully when they're confronting an attack, it's not the first time that they're considering what to do. And it's not the first time they're thinking about the decision-making and the response to an attack like that. What we encourage our clients across every industry to do is to take time in advance of an emergency situation, much like you would in the healthcare industry in delivering the primary service, practice and rehearse and think about how to respond to set out a written, and when I say written, I actually do mean something that's printed as opposed to electronic, because obviously in the event of an attack, you may not have access to what you've stored electronically. So have a written and printed plan so you know who's going to be involved in responding to an attack, who needs to be contacted, and and how you're going to go about doing it. And there are a number of factors that are going to play into that decision-making process. One is going to be the scope of the attack. Another is going to be who is implicated in the attack. What is your insurance carrier saying, hopefully you've been working in consultation with your insurance carrier in advance of an attack. Hospitals and other healthcare providers are highly regulated industries, and many regulators and industry associations have guidance and requirements as to how to prepare for and how to respond to an attack. So again, hopefully there are clear directives uh, coming from that avenue as well, but ultimately at the end of the day, It involves an assessment as to the scope of the attack, how you can mitigate it, if at all, in-house, and then what the implications are in giving into the demands of the threat actors. A, if you pay the ransom, are you actually going to get your systems back? Are you going to exacerbate the situation by announcing to the world, so to speak, that you're an organization that is prepared to pay to get your systems back? And finally, are there legal and regulatory implications of making that decision? Depending on a number of factors in in making the actual payment, the organization itself could be exposing itself to both regulatory liability as well as perhaps contractual liability with vendors, with patients, with, with other business partners. So there are a whole host of considerations. And just to bring it full circle, those are things that should be thought about in advance. Definitely. So it definitely seems like having an incident response plan, practicing that plan is really crucial to responding to a ransomware attack effectively. So I kind of wanted to dive deeper into the potential consequences of 
paying a ransom and the consequences of not paying for healthcare entities in particular? Yeah, the consequences of paying or not paying are similar, as I said, to other industries, but particularly in healthcare, if you're a trucking company and you suffer a ransomware attack, well, your, your trucks are frozen in place, they're not getting loaded, you're not getting goods and products to your customers, and you may suffer financially as a result. With, with healthcare, obviously, particularly if the patient level information is stymied. And so let's differentiate if you have siloed, perhaps billing systems, and those are what is frozen. That's a very different situation than if medical records and pharmacy dispensary information is frozen in place, and it may have a real direct impact on the ability to provide care. And we can talk a little bit later about a particular incident that's been in the news where that happened. Again, it's going to depend on what is under attack, how you can respond to it. But the ramifications can be both, as I said, legal, but in the healthcare situation, obviously, your ability to continue to care for the patients in your charge is the overriding factor in determining how to respond. Definitely. It seems like ransomware is a big problem in every sector right now, but I imagine the response is very different for retail or finance compared to healthcare and when you're dealing with health data. Getting back to that case we were referencing, so a recent lawsuit attributed an infant's death to a ransomware attack at an Alabama hospital recently, and that was kind of the first credible public claim that a death resulted, at least in part, by a healthcare ransomware attack. So what are some ways in which ransomware could impact patient care in the future, and do you think we will see more cases like this in the near future? I think, unfortunately, yes. Particularly, it's a very vulnerable time for healthcare in the U.S. and around the world because healthcare providers are, are putting out metaphorical fires on multiple fronts. They're dealing with an influx of patients. They're dealing with the COVID restrictions and, and everything that goes with that. And, and so they're systemically challenged. And so, A, the, the ransomware preparation and mitigation may get shunted to the side as we're allocating scarce resources where we want to focus on an immediate health threat. We may ignore to our detriment the technological threat, but it, it's going to continue. And it's very difficult because of COVID and other factors to carve out the time to prepare. And I don't mean just the incident response team preparing. I'm talking about from the CEO of the hospital down to the person working in the cafeteria. Everyone has a role to play in both mitigating an incident, but also in responding to it. And if you don't carve out the time to drill for that and prepare and practice, it's going to show when a real incident occurs. And so if the solution in the case of, let's say, dispensing medications from a pharmacy, which in usual times relies on the use of, say, iPads or other handheld devices, has to resort to paper and pads and things like that, it, particularly among newer staff or younger staff that, that didn't grow up, so to speak, writing out prescriptions by hand and only know how to enter it onto a computer. If the first time they're picking up that pad is after a ransomware attack, there's unfortunately a real high likelihood of an error happening. So I, I do think particularly because of COVID and the way it's stressed our resources and caused hospitals and other healthcare providers to really struggle with staffing as it is, they're really going to find it challenging to set aside 
a couple of hours every quarter to run a drill like this, but much in the way that here in New York, the fire department requires us in our high rise office buildings to run a fire drill and know where the stairs are. Healthcare providers of, of all sizes really need to devote time to not just their incident response teams thinking about this and sitting around the conference room table and, and running through a drill in the conference room or tabletop exercise, but really the people that are going to have to implement it, the doctors, the nurses, the pharmacists, the x-ray technicians, whoever it is, they need to be aware of what those backup systems are and have experience in practicing them. Definitely. So it seems like there definitely could be impacts to patient care as a result of ransomware, but gets back to that preparation aspect where they will be more equipped to handle the consequences if they are prepared and everyone in the organization has some awareness of what's going on. Absolutely. And so I know going off of that, the FBI strongly discourages paying the ransom because it gives the hackers what they want and it doesn't necessarily guarantee the safe return of data. But healthcare organizations are, of course, in a unique position where patient safety may be on the line. So how do they weigh these risks on a case-by-case basis? Again, I'll go back to what I said earlier, which is they, they should have that decision tree mapped out in advance. They should be working with their outside professionals. Hopefully they have attorneys that are well-versed in this area that they've worked with before. They've got guidance from their insurance companies and they have guidance from outside security and technical experts. One of the benefits of working with outside professionals is that you can draw upon their experience. And by way of example, an outside technical consultant may actually have had experience and is able to identify which particular threat actor has initiated this attack and can offer you the advice of hey, this is group A, we've dealt with them 10 times this year. And yes, if you pay them, they will get your system back up and running promptly or they're negotiable. They'll pay, they'll take half of what they're asking for, or this is group B and we dealt with them last week and the client paid and they still didn't return the systems or they only returned 25% of the systems. And so that's just one component of the decision that healthcare providers have to face. And we've talked about a number of them, which are what are the regulatory and and legal ramifications of making payment? What is your insurance carrier going to do in the aftermath? And so you should be working with all of those people before, during, and after a response. And one part that I'll emphasize out of somewhat self-interest, but also it's sound advice, is by working with outside counsel and done in the proper way, many of these communications can be shielded by attorney-client privilege and attorney work product so that when the inevitable litigation happens afterwards, not every communication about the incident or preparation or response to the incident becomes discoverable by plaintiff's counsel. And, And there are a lot of nuances to that. That's a broad generalization, but it's definitely something to consider and speak to your counsel about in advance. Yeah. So at the end of the day, these threat actors are largely financially motivated, but of course there are no guarantees either way whether organizations pay the ransom or not. So I could definitely see the argument from both sides. So going off of that, what are some actionable steps that healthcare organizations can take to prevent, prepare, respond to a ransomware attack and kind of avoid being in that situation if possible? 
Yeah, and I'll answer that in a second, but just dovetailing back for one moment in terms of all of the threat actors being financially motivated, I would say, unfortunately, that's not always the case. And those become much more difficult if you do have, say, a a policy-motivated threat actor, it becomes much more difficult to negotiate with them if they're willing to negotiate at all. But getting back to this question in terms of what can you do to prepare, the first is to have a response plan in place. And how do you come up with a response plan? You consult with outside experts. Let me comment here because I know that your audience spans a range of of sizes and types of organizations. And obviously, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach here, and different organizations have different resources for, for dealing with it. But even the smallest organizations have resources available to them, either through their insurance carrier or through professional organizations that they may already be a member of, or they can pool resources with similarly situated organizations. And so it's not all that expensive to, for example, hire an outside consultant to run some basic tests on your existing system and and conduct an information audit so that you understand how your systems are set up, how they might be tweaked very easily to what we call silo the information we talked before about you know, billing being separate from, from patient care. And there are a number of ways that that can be divided out so that perhaps if somebody does get into the system, they're only getting into a portion of it. And perhaps it's not a patient care critical portion of the system. And so again, engaging outside counsel, engaging outside technical experts to help engaging corporate communication type professionals, because in the event of an incident communication both within your organization and outside to the greater community is going to be critical. And you want to have a plan and a phone number in place for that. And, and I know I've mentioned insurance a number of times. And let me amplify that because oftentimes when people say insurance, they just think of, okay, I crash my car, I put in a claim and I get a check in the mail. But when it comes to cybersecurity, there are policies available where the insurance company is incentivized and does in fact offer a tremendous number of resources to the insureds to help them prepare for and mitigate an attack. And they will then step in and and take over or help you in the response. So establishing that relationship in advance. And, And one other group that I'll mention that you mentioned before, which was the FBI, and I'll put that more broadly as law enforcement in general, the US Secret Service and and the FBI and others have a great deal of experience in responding to incidents like this. And it's a good idea, like anything else, to know those folks in advance. And so just another pitch for working with outside counsel, a lot of outside attorneys who work in this space have those existing relationships, can make those introductions in advance so that if there's an attack, it's not the first time that Hospital D is having a conversation with with the Secret Service about information security. And you can, again, just join groups that provide very frequent updates as to different threats and situations that are being seen so you can continually do self-assessments and try to fix things in advance. And then the final thing is security patches that come out regularly those should not be deferred. Those are being put out there by the vendors for a reason. So definitely apply them in a timely manner. Right. 
And as you said, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to this. So how might smaller organizations with smaller budgets tackle ransomware compared to larger ones? You know, a smaller organization isn't necessarily going to have a CISO, a chief information security officer, or somebody who's just tasked with protecting the system. But certainly they have somebody that they rely on in keeping their networks and information systems going if it's somebody in-house, if it's somebody from an ISP or another vendor, all of those types of larger businesses have resources available for their smaller customers to mitigate risk. And it's really important that those smaller organizations be very mindful and very proactive when it comes to cybersecurity. We encounter a lot of smaller organizations across many industries that think that they are under the radar and no one's going to bother attacking them. And what we like to tell them is, no, it's actually just the opposite. You're the low-hanging fruit. And if we view threat actors as business people, they're thinking the same way as a revenue officer is, how can I get the greatest return on my investment? What's the easiest way to make money today? And for many of them, the easiest way is to go after a smaller, less sophisticated organization because they haven't put up all of the safeguards and they know they might be that much more willing to pay and, and pay quickly so as to not lose revenue. So really not every hacker is looking to climb the Mount Everest of ransomware. At the end of the day, a lot of these threat actors are just looking to make the quickest dollar or Bitcoin as it were that they can. And the easiest way to do that for them may be to go after a seemingly smaller, a seemingly less sophisticated organization. And so it really behooves those types of organizations to be that much more proactive in protecting and, and mitigating because they don't want to be the low-hanging fruit. Definitely. So it's just as important for these small organizations to be equally prepared. If not more important. Yeah. So kind of switching gears, ransomware is obviously evolving very fast and the regulatory space has to match that. So how is the regulatory space changing to adapt to these threats or how does it need to change in the future? Yeah, it's very challenging from a regulatory standpoint to legislate and regulate against things that haven't been developed yet. And so what we really need our governments at all levels to do is to coordinate their efforts. We see many state level legislatures enacting new laws on a constant basis. They make it very difficult for organizations that either operate in multiple jurisdictions or have patients or customers across multiple jurisdictions to be in compliance with all of those laws. And so what we're better served with is a series of regulations that are more general in nature and really have more of a focus on deploying governmental resources to stop attacks and to aid organizations in preventing and responding to attacks rather than going after organizations in a punitive manner to punish them for having been the, the victim of a crime. So uh, if, I, if I were sitting in the Oval Office or a state house or elsewhere, that's where I'd be directing our efforts. Great. Well, thank you so much for those insights and thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And for our listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Feel free to reach out to me at jmckeon at xtelligentmedia.com. That's J-M-C-K-E-O-N at xtelligentmedia.com. 
to share your thoughts or to suggest stories you'd like us to consider covering in the future. And please head over to Apple Podcasts to give us five stars and a positive review if you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. This has been an Intelligent Healthcare Media production.